Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com. Be a champ today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com. I am your host, Jack O'Hara. Episode 32, Start Spreading the News with Brian Hoke, Yankees beat writer at MLB.com. We'll talk some Manny Machado as we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. Hopefully the Yankees make a move. They are concerned with his hustle comments, but in my honest opinion, they were completely taken out of context. He said afterwards he felt terrible and it looked terrible that he didn't run out some of those balls I can't really make an excuse for the dirty play on Steve Pierce and Jesus Aguilar during the championship series and the world series but we'll see we'll talk some Corey Kluber as the Yankees and Indians are talking about that Yankees unwilling to budge on Miguel Andahar or Estevan Floriel in a trade with the Indians are also talking about Carlos Carrasco Yankees looking into James Paxton as well as Patrick Corbin so big hefty offseason for the Yankees coming your way in Vegas at the winter meetings in a couple of weeks we'll also talk about his books first baby bombers which came out last year talking about the next Yankees dynasty with guys like Aaron Judge Gary Sanchez you know them and uh, his newest book coming out with Mark Feinstead in a few weeks I'm not quite sure when it's coming out it's called Mission 27 they uh, got together with absolutely everybody on the Yankees roster from that 2019, the 10-year anniversary. I'm talking Jeter, A-Rod, Posada, Swisher, Teixeira, Phil frickin' Coke, Chad Godin, Sergio Mitre, Phil Hughes. I mean, you name it, honestly. I mean, I'm going through the list right now. I mean, I said Phil Coke. Yep. Chad Godin. Yep. Sergio Mitre. Yep. Jose frickin' Molina. Yep. Jerry Hairston Jr. Yep. What about Melky Cabrera? Yep. Dave Island. Yep. Joe Girardi. Yep. Tony Pena. Yep. Shelly Duncan. Yep. AJ Burnett. Yep. Even one of my favorite baseball players of all time, Johnny Damon. Yep. A lot to look forward to 
in that book is they literally find these I and like I don't even know what half those guys are doing. AJ Burnett's retired. Johnny Damon has like twelve kids. So he's off doing parent things, I'm sure. Swisher's an analyst. A-Rod's an analyst. Teixeira's an analyst. Jeter owns the Marlins. Posada's enjoying retirement. As well as Pettit and Rivera. Rivera set to go into the Hall of Fame, no doubt, this year. First ballot Hall of Famer in everybody's eyes. The guys like Jose Molina, Shelly Duncan, Sergio Mitre. How do you find these guys? I mean, I'm honestly kind of impressed. How'd you do that? Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. So all of these answers will, or all these questions will be answered on this latest edition of the Osho Podcast, episode 32. Start spreading the news. As I now welcome in my guest, he is a beat writer for the New York Yankees and MLB.com. His new book, Mission 27, will be out in stores, assuming in the next six months or so, given that it's going to be the 10-year anniversary, his book, Baby Bombers is out in stores. Please welcome in Yankees beat writer Brian Hoke. Pretty good. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. I know you're pretty busy driving into the city right now. So, yeah, no problem. <laughs> we'll, yeah, I've actually, uh, actually got a Brian Cashman event coming up. So gotta go. he's, uh, he's doing that thing where he sleeps out for charity. Oh, yeah. That time of year. And everything. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's snowing right now, right? Yeah. All right. So I'll make this as quick as possible. I know you got to run. My first question for you is like the biggest question in Yankees news right now. Michael K. kind of touched up on it about his show yesterday. Uh, Manny Machado. The Yankees are quite serious about him, despite all the uh, accusations that he didn't run out some balls during the postseason. The most important games of the season, he was kind of dogging it. Uh, and he's kind of owed around $300 million this offseason. What are your thoughts about the whole uh, Manny Machado situation when it comes to the Yankees? Well, I, to be honest with you, I don't understand how a guy can be on that stage and be about to get that kind of contract and uh, decide that that's the time that it's not he's not going to run out of ground ball or, you know, as he said, quote, not going to be Johnny Hustle. I mean, if I'm in that situation, I want to be Johnny Hustle more over, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can, you can take it easy once you get the big contract, I guess, if that's what you're going to do. Um, yeah, I, I find the whole situation curious. I mean, he's such a talented player. Um, obviously, the Yankees are interested in him. They're doing their due diligence. They're checking up on it. But, um, yeah, you know, Hal Steinbrenner said yesterday, it's concerning. Um, it, I think that you have to, to wonder what – what's going on there and if you're going to commit that kind of money and those kind of years to a player like that and he's not going to hustle in in the world series or the nlcs um i I think that raised a lot of questions but that being said you know i was with dylan batanzas earlier this week and he he openly lobbied for machado said he's a great teammate they played together in the world baseball classic when they were with the uh the dominican squad a couple years ago and um, he, he says put on the full court press and Machado could put them over the top. So I, I think that once you get him in that room, and people I've talked to uh, connected to the Orioles have said this too, he's the kind of guy that when he's on your team, you love him. But when he's not on your team, you might not like him very much. And that, so I think that that's part of what the Yankees are investigating right now. Uh, is this guy going to be a headache? Is he worse? the problem and the money to, to come in, you know, if there is a problem. Um, I, I, there's a lot of pieces to that equation there. And that not, plus, on top of that, their top priority is starting pitching. So 
Um, there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle. I, I do think the Yankees are connected to Machado. I, I think it's real. Uh, but I think that he's also not their first move that they're going to make after signing Gardner and Sabathia. Right, and a few years back, I even remember Manny Machado when he was with Baltimore. A lot of people uh, said he was a class act, really nice, down-to-earth guy, along with the great talent. So I feel like a lot of that stuff just came up this year when he moved to L.A. Um, kind of well, got. I mean, he had incidents with the Red Sox a couple of years ago, too. So That I mean, is true. He's, he's So, if the Yankees do in fact go out and bring a guy in like Machado, that more than fills the void at shortstop with Didi Gregorius out for most of next season with Tommy John surgery. Didi's set to become a free agent after 2019. Do you think if the Yankees go out and sign Manny Machado, that prevents a Didi reunion and re-sign in 2020 and beyond? said that would uh, mean more for Andujar than it would Didi and you also said that if Andujar were to go it would be a part of a big uh, pitching acquisition the Yankees were in talks with the Indians about Kluber and Carrasco earlier in the month but reports said that the Yankees wouldn't budge on Andujar and Florio do you think the Yankees are now out at the moment on uh, Corey Kluber given that they won't budge on Andujar or Florio? Pitching is uh, their top priority, and if they don't do it on the free agent market, they'll have to do it on the trade front. 
And you mentioned James uh, Paxton in Seattle. He seems like he'd be a good fit. The Yankees seem serious about going after a guy like him. Do you think that uh, a James Paxton deal would seem like a good fit if the Yankees could get them to budge on like their B-type prospects like a Clint Frazier or a Chance Adams? I mean, Fraser missed so much of the year and uh, had the medical issues that I think you have to really see him come back and play on the field for the Yankees. So, you know, I thought that um, had he been completely healthy, Frazier might have been traded the deadline this past year. But because he wasn't, uh, teams weren't going to trade for a guy who had these lingering concussion issues. And Adams, you, you've only seen him a little bit at the big leagues. But to be honest, I, I don't get the sense that teams are exceptionally high on him. So, I mean, look, you'd... If you could package Chance Adams, let's say, in a deal for and get a James Paxton, of course you do that. Um, but I think that uh, it's going to take more than that, and I, I think that's why you haven't seen anything done yet. Um, so you mentioned firsthand that Yankees did sign, re-sign CC and Brett Gardner. Uh, first, what's your take on the Yankees bringing back CC? And two, does bringing back Brett Gardner ensure that he's the starting left fielder over guys like Clint Frazier or even Andrew McCutcheon, given that they probably won't re-sign him? Right. McCutcheon, I don't get the sense he's going to be coming back. So uh, I think Gardner's going to have the first crack at left field. I mean, who knows? Everything could get moved around. Maybe let's say you, you package Andujar and Hicks in a trade for a starting pitcher. Now all of a sudden you've got a lot of maneuverability in, in the outfield. I'm not saying the Yankees need to get rid of Aaron Hicks. I, I'm just saying that that's the kind of player I'd ask for if I was one of the other teams. So um, there, there's a lot of different ways they can fit the puzzle together. As far as bringing back CeCe, um, I'm not shocked. I, I am surprised that it happened so quickly. I, I figured that the Yankees would take care of their other business, uh, other business and then uh, CeCe would come back to them, say, in January, and they'd, they'd work out something. But I, I think the price was right for both these guys. They wanted to come back. They're great Yankees. Um, you know, big part of the clubhouse. Uh, kind of the part of the furniture, almost, in a lot of ways. You know, they've been there since that ballpark opened in 2009. It, it would have been weird to not have them there, at least for another year, you don't have to think about that. But I think uh, if you're going into this year counting on Sabathia and Gardner for more than just a supporting role, uh, you're probably going to be in trouble there. So I, I think they obviously need to build more around that. It's a good way to start the winter to have those guys in the fold, but they need to do more. Yeah, like you said, CC's probably the head of that locker room. Um, he's still got a little bit left in the tank, but definitely going to be there fifth starter at best. Uh, so the Yankees... Great last year, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. And the Yankees got under the uh, tax threshold last year, even with the acquisition of Giancarlo Stanton. Um, this is the big free agency uh, market 2019 that the Yankees were waiting for for the past three years or so. Given that they want to improve both pitching I think their offense is fine as it is, honestly, even though if they go out and get a guy like Machado. Is it still important to the front office and Brian Cashman to stay under that tax threshold? I, I, what I've heard Cashman say is that Cal Steinbrenner has not told him he must stay under it. He'd prefer if Cashman stays under it, but um, you know that, that's like saying – Hey, if you go to the grocery store, you know, try not to spend $20 on a steak. Right. <laughs> of course. If you can get seven, please do. But, you know, I, I think that uh, they're in that situation now where um, 
they want to do what it takes to win. And there was a reason they wanted to reset that luxury tax rate. They wanted to stop putting the money into the other team's pockets. They've done that. And now if they exceed it, um, you know, the, the penalty rate is not fit. Oh, I, I feel like it's more, so I feel like less incentive for the Yankees to stay out. I don't think that at the end of the day, the Yankees aren't going to look at, at their balance sheet and say, ooh, that's good. We saved another $10 million. We, I know we didn't win the World Series, but – um, you know, at least we saved that $10 million. I don't think that's the way the Yankees operate. Um, I, I think that there's so much value in winning a World Series, uh, not just in terms of kind of cachet with the fan base and, and interest, but, I mean, it, it sells season tickets. I mean, people would be interested in the Yankees. I mean, the Yes Network would go nuts if the Yankees were able to win another World Series in 2019. So uh, there's so much value in having a winning team. They came, they came close in 2017, one win away from the World Series, and then obviously to watch the Red Sox celebrate, to have them celebrate the division and the ALDS in their own ballpark uh, this past year, and then go on to win the World Series. I mean, that's just that's got to leave a bad taste in Hal Steinberg's mouth and everybody else uh, connected with the, the team. So I, I do think they're going to spend big this offseason. I won't. I honestly won't be shocked about any of these big names if they come off the board and they're in pinstripes at Yankee Stadium. So I think anything could happen this offseason. Um, they, they they've got the money. They've got the resources. Uh, they, if the Yankees think it's the right move to, to go get these guys, they can do it. Not every team can say that. Now, the Yankees, we all know what happened in 2017. One win away from the World Series. We're up 3-2 in the ALCS at one point. They lost to the Red Sox this year. in the Yeah. yeah. Lost to the uh, Red Sox in the division series. Do you think that the 2018 Yankee team took a step back compared to the 2017, even though the Red Sox were just historically good throughout the entire year? Well, I, I don't think you can judge things based upon the postseason. I mean, look, they, they won 91 games in 2017, and they, they had a nine-game improvement over that this past year. So um, I, I think they took a step forward in a lot of ways. I think they were a better team. You had to stand to the, to the middle of that lineup. Um, I, I think they were a better team. They just didn't get it done in October. And, and so a lot of times in these postseason series, uh, the hottest team wins. It's not the best team that wins. But in the case of the ALDS, the best team did win. Um, they, the, the Red Sox were better than the Yankees wire to wire this year. Uh, they they Yankees had a bad fortune of being in the division with a team that was having a historic season there. Um, you know, we've never seen a Red Sox team that won 108 games before. Uh, we did this year. and So, you know, I, I remember Sabathia at one point during the year, said, they look up and they're, I, I guess they're winning 80 or 90 games at the time. And they said, does it feel like we're having that good of a year? And it didn't. Um, it, it didn't, but because you measure yourself against the Red Sox when you're the Yankees and that's the way it always has been, and you know I, I think that if you talk to anybody with the Yankees, it's really hard to look up at the end of 2018, uh, despite the 100 wins, despite some of the good things that happened in, at Yankee Stadium this year. Uh, it's hard to look up and say, well, that was a good year when the Red Sox won the World Series. So I think that kind of spoils everything, but it, I think it's going to motivate them to come back and uh, do more and, and make more noise this year. So I got a list here, guys, who assign, well, sign or acquire to bring in and guys who shouldn't be brought in. Uh, the first one being a guy, left-hander for the Diamondbacks this year, has set on record that he wants to be a Yankee, grew up a Yankee fan, and that's uh, Patrick Corbin. I, I think Corbin's probably the top target right now. I, I really do. I think it makes too much sense not to happen. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt that the guy had 
had a jersey framed on his wall growing up. Right. I, I think what that tells you is he'd, he'd love the challenge of pitching in New York. He'd embrace that. Um, it's not a guy you're going to have to go in and sell on, um, you know, the allure of playing for the Yankees. He gets it. And, um, you know, I, I think that um, I, I know the Diamondbacks kind of smacked him down a little bit and said, hey, what are you doing? You know, when he had those comments in April. Um, he kind of was a little more quiet about that Yankee connection after that, but I, I think he, he made his point, and the Yankees heard it. And you know, looking up his stats from last year, one thing that, that jumped out at me: the strikeouts. Um, the if he had done that in a Yankee uniform, there's only one Yankee in history who had more strikeouts than that. That's Ron Guidry in 1978. So that was a, a Cy Young season for Guidry, and uh, the kind of pitcher that the Yankees haven't really had. Um, you know, a dominant strikeout lefty. I mean, you've seen him over the years, but uh, they certainly didn't have one last year. Uh, but I, I think he'd be a great addition at the top of that rotation. And another lefty here. Yankees acquired him in July. Went. Oh, what was it? Seven and zero during the regular season. His only loss coming in that ALDS against the Red Sox and Jay Happ. Yeah, I think Happ uh, Happ impressed them uh, as far as being a professional. I feel like he fit right in. You know, a lot of times you get these guys who just walk into the clubhouse and it feels like they've already been there for you know years upon years. I know Todd Frazier was like that in 2017 um, when he came over in that trade. Uh, I think that um, yeah, Happ. Yeah, Basically, was a guy who showed up, did his job, and um, I mean, other than that start against the Red Sox in the ALDS, he did everything right. I think so. Um, I, I think that uh, you, you look at his career track record. This guy's a professional. He knows how to get it done. Um, I, I think that he would be near the top of their list of guys to get. I think Corbin would obviously be the first. Of it. Um, I, I think Hap. Plus, you, you know, later in his career here, he'd probably come back and uh, sign for a one- or two-year deal, which I think is appealing for the Yankees in a lot of ways. So um, I think if they can make the dollars make sense, uh, he, he's a good fit with the Yankees, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him come back either. And, of course, a lot of those bullpen pieces uh, on the free agent market this year. Do you go out and re-sign a, a guy like David Robertson? this year, which made me, my first thought was, well, I wonder if he's already got something worked out with the Yankees, but um, you look up here, and, and Gardner Spathy obviously made it clear they wanted to come back. That hasn't happened yet with Robertson. I think he's going to test the market, and uh, he has a pretty good idea of what he deserves out there, so um, I, I think that a guy like a Robertson would fit. I think that a Zach Britton could fit. Um, yeah, they've got some, some holes to fit and uh, fill in the rotation, and the bullpen as well. I think the priority is obviously going to be the rotation, but uh, you got to have that bridge to a world of Chapman at the back end, too, and uh, that was the strength of the team last year, so uh, you, you certainly want to keep it that way. And here's another guy who's been so effective when he's healthy, but has been dealing with injuries for the past couple of years. The Yankees traded him for Frazier and Sheffield, and that's uh, Andrew Miller. Yeah, you know, he had a down year last year. I think that he's the kind of guy, uh, look, if he was a free agent last year, before last season, he would have cashed in huge. You know, he, he picked the wrong year to kind of take a step backward. I know he dealt with some injury issues. Um, it, it's something I'd look into if I were the Yankees. I don't think it's it, it would be my first choice, but I, I know Miller loved being a Yankee and uh, grew up, he lived in the Tampa area. He enjoyed having spring training near his house. So um, I, I think I could see that being a fit for him. Um, 
you know, it's something I'd look into if I were the Yankees, but I don't think he'd be my first choice to put in the bullpen. And um, here's a guy who's been linked to the Yankees and the Red Sox a little bit this offseason. Not quite sure if the Diamondbacks are going to budge on anything too light for him. He's the face of their franchise. I know the Yankees want to give Luke Voigt a shot, given that they also have Greg Bird on their roster still, and that's uh, first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I thought the Yankees might check in more on him. Maybe the asking price is just too high, Um, but... Um, From everything I understand, that the Yankees aren't really one of the teams that's been in on Goldschmidt. Hey, that can that can turn around in a hurry, I guess. Uh, You know, they could reverse that. But um, hey, I think that uh, my sense right now is that Boyd, they believe it's it's repeatable that he can actually sustain what he did in the second half of last year, and that was pretty special, honestly. I, I mean. Cashman has said a few times that he thinks Voight was the best bat trade at the deadline last year, and that includes Machado. I mean, in terms of production, what they gave to the team, uh, I guess that's true. I mean, this guy came out of nowhere. A good find by the Yankee analytic crew. Um, I guess they've been on him for a couple years, and uh, they saw him as an upgrade over Tyler Austin. So uh, when you're looking at that right-handed bat, a guy who has minor league options but could be in your starting lineup, I I think Voight, he's he's an intriguing player for the Yankees right now. Um, I think they're going to give a serious look to that. I think they have not completely shut the door on Great Bird. I think Bird's going to have a chance to come into spring training and uh, prove that what happened last year was a fluke and that he can come back from injury. I don't think he was completely healthy, but... Look, if you get a chance to put Paul Goldschmidt in your lineup, I think you say goodbye to Luke Voigt and you say goodbye to Greg Bird and you take your chances. Um, I do know that Goldschmidt is a free agent after this coming year, so that would that, that's the only thing that would kind of give me pause there. If you're going to unload prospects for that guy, you got to get something, uh, some kind of commitment that he's going to stick around for a while because I, I don't do that for just one year considering what the Yankees have at first base right now. All right, and staying on the topic of Luke Voigt, I know – you have a lot more insight than most of us other Yankee fans do. Like, was that deal, like, did you have any insight on that deal? It was Luke Voigt for Jason Shreve and another prospect. That deal to me was just kind of like, okay, I uh, don't really know what we're getting there. What, what were your thoughts on that deal before everything went down? And Gio Gallegos was the other part of that deal. Um, I... You know, honestly, I didn't know much about Luke Boyd. Um, I knew that he was blocked on the uh, the depth chart in St. Louis. Uh, you looked at the minor league numbers and you said, okay, I, I guess this guy can, looks like he can hit a little bit. Um, but certainly not a guy that you, uh, you thought a whole lot about coming into the year. Um, like I said, this was a find by the Yankee analytic crew. I guess they had looked at some of his, uh, his numbers, his batted ball velocity, that kind of stuff. And uh, basically they thought this would translate at the big league level if this guy ever got a chance and boy did it ever i mean uh down the stretch last year i mean he was a home run machine i remember that uh after they clinched uh, i believe it was the wild card they was one of those celebration uh, uh aaron judge went up to Voight and hugged him and said hey we're not here without you man so uh he made a, a very quick impact in a short period of time and uh, it was impressive to watch. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see if uh, he can follow up on that and sustain it going forward into uh, 2019. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he was only there for two months, and he put up the numbers that he did. We'll see what he can do during the course of a full season, see if any of uh, any or anybody on anybody's pitching staff could figure him out. Uh, the final person on this list is obviously the big one, who the Yankees said they're absolutely not linked to this offseason season. 
That'd be the face of the Nationals franchise, who looks like he's leaving because he turned down a $300 million deal to stay, and that's Bryce Harper. Right. Um, I don't see where Harper fits for the Yankees. Um, I, you know, obviously, I guess you could put him at first base. It just kind of floated that idea. Um, I, I think that if you had a choice between Harper and Machado, you'd take Machado. Obviously, it makes a lot more sense after the DD injury. But, you know, considering what happened last year with Stanton, I'm never going to stand ever with this team. So um, I, I was dead wrong on Stanton. I didn't think there was any way he was going to land with the Yankees. And, and here we are. So. Um, I think that if a guy like that falls into their lap, they would probably look into it. Um, and I, like I said, you can move some parts around this offseason. You know, if Hicks is not on the team, and I, I think that he will be, but if he's not, then all of a sudden you have a, a place to play Harper. So um, I, I think a lot of things can happen. And can you imagine an outfield with the uh, guy Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper and Giancarlo Stanton? I mean, good gosh. I, um, I, I think... He, the Yankees are going to do something splashy this year to, to answer the Red Sox and kind of take away that that victory parade hangover they've got going on up there. And um, you know, getting any pulling down any of these guys off the board, I think would uh, would let the Red Sox know that 2019 is coming. And then you know, enjoy enjoy last year, but uh, they'll have to fight for it again in 2019. Ryan, you mentioned like Giancarlo Stanton just came out of nowhere, like Brian Cashman going out and getting him, and they got him for. I mean, they gave up Scarlett and Castro, but that's about it. They took on um, basically about all the remaining uh, dollars that were on that salary. But there was a little bit of talk last year, given that Bryce Harper is on the free agent uh, market this year. Was there ever uh, talk a short while ago about the Yankees potentially flopping Giancarlo Stanton to a team like the Dodgers in order to sign Bryce Harper? For just one question, uh, big award last night, Jacob DeGrom winning the Cy Young. What are your thoughts about Jacob DeGrom bringing in the Cy Young Award this year? I mean, gosh, I think the first thought that comes to mind is the voters got it right. I mean, 29 out of 30 first-place votes. I mean, this guy was uh, one of the most dominant pitchers in, in baseball this year. I think that every time he took the ball, it was an event. And, um, you know, I think this is... That's kind of thing the Mets hadn't seen since probably Dwight Gooden back in the day. So, um, I, I mean, just electric stuff, terrific pitcher. I think that uh, I'm, 
that a lot of the voters have learned to look past wins as a way to measure pitchers because, um, you know, you look at the win-loss record and you, it, there's, it's not all that special. But, I mean, dig a little deeper and look into the story and, and watch this guy pitch and um, what he did over the course of the season, whether his team scored runs from him or not. I mean, he did his job. He, he can only go and I know he's in the National League. He can help his cause, so to speak. But, I mean, his job is to pitch and to get outs and – Jacob DeGrom did that in spades. Um, I think um, the voters definitely got it right on the National League side. and um, Very deserving winner for the Cy Young Award. Now you say that the writers got that one right. As a Yankee fan and you as a Yankee reporter, I really hope you don't say <laughs> the knew, same thing about that. the yeah. Rookie of the Year. Show, I mean, I kind of get why Otani won, but yeah. at the same time, like he didn't really play any important games this year. Who do you think should have won the AL Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani or Miguel Andahar? Well, I will tell you, I did not have a vote for the Rookie of the Year, but if I did, I would have voted for Andujar. Um, Andujar would have been one on my ballot, Otani would have been two, Glaber Torres three. Um, I, I just thought that Andujar, wire to wire, was consistent for the Yankees. I mean, it's a guy who was supposed to start the year in the minor leagues. Brandon Drury uh, had the migraine issue, and that opened the door for him to get a chance, um, and, and he never looked back. Um, Andrew Hart, I think the extra base hit machine, putting his name alongside guys like Joe DiMaggio in the franchise book. Uh, no AL rookie had ever had more doubles in his rookie season than Andrew Hart did. Fred Lynn with the, the Red Sox in 75, he tied that record. I mean, look, Otani is something that we haven't seen since Babe Ruth, and that's special. It is. Um, you know, we've never seen a guy hit 20-something home runs and make 10 starts in the big leagues. Um, not since back in the day. I, I get it. It was it was awesome to watch. I just didn't think he did it enough. And uh, obviously the voters disagreed. Uh, but I, yeah, it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But had I had a ballot, um, I would have definitely put into R1. Yeah, and he played like 50 somewhat less games than he did too. And I've been arguing yeah. with my buddy about it. He played what, two, over 280, 20-plus homers. I'm like, Andrew Hart hit 297, 28 bombs in the middle of a pennant race when guys like Gary Sanchez was hitting 180 and Aaron Judge was out for two months. So. Right. That's just... So, uh, yeah, I mean, Andrew Hart was a, a huge part of that Yankee team. And I, I'm not... Look, if, they, if he's not on the roster wire to wire or if, he's, uh, if he gets hurt or something, they may not even make the playoffs. I don't know. So... Uh, I thought he was a, a big part of that Yankee team. I think that, uh, as I said, if I had a ballot, I would have put into hard one. But it, if I had a ballot, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because Otani won it in the landslide. So what are you going to do? Right, and um, so that was a huge season for Andujar, especially when Gary Sanchez was hitting 186 like he did, 290 hitter in 2017, 299 in half a season in 2016. It came out that he had soldier surgery just uh, – this past week, do you think that Gary Sanchez's shoulder prevented him from being that 290 hitter he was in 2017? Um, I think it certainly couldn't have helped. It's convenient. It's something you can kind of point to and be like, oh, there was the problem. But I think uh, it probably went a little deeper than that. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't look for it to be a magic cure-all fix. I think he'll be better in, uh, this coming year just because, um, you know, watching him on a day-to-day basis, there were times where he would score the ball and he wouldn't get any results for it. And, um, you, you kept thinking, oh, man, this guy's luck has got to turn around at some point. And I guess it did during the 
late September and October, he was closer to the, the hitter that he should have been. Uh, but, yeah, that was just um, a very strange season for Gary Sanchez um, because I, I feel like if you did that season over a bunch more times, you'd get different results. I, I think that there was some bad luck to it. I, I obviously, the shoulder thing, we didn't know about it at all. So um, nobody was talking about it. Sanchez kept it very quiet. I guess he got a cortisone shot or two during the, the course of the year or so. I like you hope that uh, obviously it was bothering him enough that he decided, all right, enough with the cortisone shots. Just you know, let's get surgery and clean it up. Um, I know he'll be coming into spring training as a rehab player, and you you hope that um, he's ready for opening day. If he's not, Austin Romine and Kyle Higashioka could handle the duties behind the plate for a little while. But uh, the Yankees say that Sanchez should be back at 100 percent for spring training, and so I guess we'll see what happens. I, I do think that. Um, what Gary did in 2016 and 17 were not an accident. I think that he is one of the better offensive catchers in the game. Uh, like I said, 2018 is just a very strange year for him. And, you know, maybe at the end of all this, you look at the back of his baseball card, and you, you're going to see nine, ten great seasons and one really terrible one. And it's just like, what happened there? Um, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, and just imagine you get that Gary Sanchez from 2016-2017, a full year of Judge, another mammoth year from Stanton, and then bring in a guy like Manny Machado who could put, easily put up 335. Um, so this, these last couple of questions are more about you than the Yankees, since I'm a guy who wants to get into the sports journalism field. What was your favorite interview as a reporter during your entire career? Yeah. That is tough. You know, the, the first one that comes to my mind, I don't know if this will hold up as my favorite of all time the more I think about it, but I, anytime I get to talk to some of these legends from the past, um, that's really, really cool for me. And, and you know, at one point it was cool to talk to, say, a, a Mike Piazza or Derek Jeter or, you know, the, the stars of when I was growing up. Um, that was cool. But, I mean, talking to the guys from the 50s and the 60s, like, I um, I got to t- sit down with Whitey Ford for 10 or 15 minutes, and that was really cool. It was almost like you were sitting down with, you know, Frank Sinatra back in the day and just kind of, you know, touching another era of Yankee history. Um, you know, when you're talking to guy, I got to interview Hank Aaron once that I, I believe it was a, a World Series or an All-Star game. I mean, these guys, those legends of Cooperstown, that, that's really cool. I, I remember... We were in spring training, and uh, the the Yankees were in Kissimmee, and um, Nate Evaldi was on the team that year, and um, he was from Alvin, Texas, as was Nolan Ryan, and I saw Nolan Ryan in the dining room, and I said, well, this is my opportunity to go talk to Nolan Ryan, and I thought he couldn't have been nicer. He was awesome. It was so cool to talk to a guy who... Yeah, those are some great interviews. Uh, you mentioned about talking to guys from the past. 28, or, yeah, 2008, September 2008, the final night at Yankee Stadium. I was kind of scrolling through your Instagram page before you came on here. You were actually taking pictures on the mound playing catch around like 3 in the morning at the old stadium after the uh, final game. Talk about the atmosphere that night of the final game at the old Yankee Stadium. You were 
was really hard to believe that that was going to be the last time I set foot in that building and uh, covered a game there. You know, I remember like, it was tough because the Yankees uh, were all about postseason greatness, and, and they weren't going to the postseason that year. So it was just strange for September 21 to be the last day the Yankee Stadium was going to be operating. But I remember uh, walking around the warning track with the fans before the game, and uh, fans were kind of – they were all they, seven hours before the game. Fans were allowed to come in and, and walk the warning track, and I saw people crying and taking pictures with their click cameras up against like the 408 sign in center field or 314 in right field, and rubbing their hands in the dirt and uh, putting their handprints on the wall in right field. And it was it was just kind of. You were saying goodbye to a friend and a place that, that was so special in, in so many people's minds. And um, you know, I, I remember seeing guys bending over and pretending to tie their shoe so they could uh, scoop some dirt into their shoe and then say they brought home some of the, the Yankee Stadium warning tracks. So um, the game I honestly don't remember much of. You know, it, I'm working on a book right now, which is about the Yankees 10 years after the 09 World Series. So a big part of that is moving from the old stadium to the new one. So I've kind of gone back and read a lot of the stuff from that time. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, the Yankees beat the Orioles 7-3 and Jose Molina hit the last home run and Brian Roberts grounded out to first base for the final out. So I've kind of refreshed my memory on a lot of that. But what I remember most about that day was walking around the ballpark. I, it was probably like 5 o'clock. And I said, I'm not going to get this opportunity again. So I left the ballpark, and, you know, we had been done. We talked to the players or whatever we did, and um, I walked out of the press gate, and I decided I'm going to do one full lap of the ballpark around and just kind of take this all in because there's, there's never going to be another game here. And so, you know, just kind of seeing the fans and taking in the smells of the hot dogs and the sausage, and, uh, you know, I, I remember Harlan Chamberlain, it was Jabba's dad, was like shaking hands and signing autographs out behind the left field wall, and, uh, and the ticket scalpers were trying to sell for exorbitant amounts of money, and people were, you know, uh, trying to get that. And I remember that the, the stadium organ, you could hear it from uh, outside the ballpark on the right field side. And so that was cool to just kind of take that lap around the block and think about all the people who had been there before. And, um, you know, I mean, it's generation to generation. Gosh, Babe Ruth played in that building, not the exact same building, but uh, close enough to that patch of land. Lou Gehrig played there. Uh, Mantle, DiMaggio, just the Yogi Berra. That was uh, that was a really cool night. Um, I think that uh, Jeter's speech still stands out to me as one of the best of all time. The fact that he did that off the cuff and hit all the right notes, um, I, I think he nailed it. And yeah, just uh, thinking about that night, I finished writing whatever I wrote. Um, and, you know, I remember writing seven, eight, nine stories for Yankees.com that night. Um, finally went down to the field, and a buddy of mine, Pete Caldera, who covers the Yankees for the Bergen Record, we went down together. And, um, we first thing we did was we took a couple coffee cups and we scooped up some dirt from home plate and filled those up. And, um, and then I said, I noticed some of the employees were playing catch out on the field, and I said, hey, you know, I got gloves out in my car. And so I ran out to the, the press parking lot, which was at the time the same as the player parking lot. They don't let us park with the players anymore, but at the time you could and so i ran out got my glove and, and we played catch down uh, the first baseline which was really really cool and i took a couple off the mound and um yeah just a really special night there at yankee stadium i remember walking out at 3 30 in the morning and thinking i wish i didn't have to leave yeah i'm sure 
So I have two more questions for you, both actually coming about uh, two of your books. Uh, the first one, The Baby Bombers, Inside the Story of the Next Yankees Dynasty. Tell me a little bit about that book. So last question before I let you go. You mentioned it a little bit before working on catching up with the 09 team 10 years later. Tell me a little about, a bit about the project yourself and Mark Fine said have been doing the catch up with the 09 team. Are you guys catching up with like literally everybody on the roster or just like the key players of the roster? Tell me a little bit about that. Like I've forgotten half 
as well, even though I was the one that wrote it. So it's really cool to kind of open that up and um, kind of revisit that time because now that you look back nine, ten years later, you, you start to get a sense of how special it was. Um, when it was happening, you're just kind of trying to keep your head above water and you're, uh, you're, you're just kind of going day by day trying not to – not to mess it up, but now you look back and you know you know the ending. Um, you know at, at the end of the book the Yankees are going to win the World Series, but it's how they got there that was really cool. And um, like I said, uh, these guys have told a lot of really good stories. And uh, I mean, it, you could tell it was just a group that genuinely enjoyed being around each other. It helped that they won a lot, but I, I think they really liked each other's company as well. Right, you mentioned how a lot of things in that book will make you say, wow, I can't believe that happened. When you brought up the pies and Burnett, I'm like, I totally forgot that that even happened. That was like my entire childhood. I remember being in the backyard with my brother doing that after our wiffle ball games. So definitely going to go out, yeah. Insane. So, did you know in the time it was whipped cream and not shaving cream? Oh, yeah, definitely. Would never do uh, shaving okay, cream. Mission 27, and you guys literally went top to bottom, like almost everybody on the roster. Uh, we were sitting outside 30 Rockefeller Center while uh, uh, 
J-Lo was trying to get to the Jimmy Fallon show, and we talked to him for about an hour, and then we talked another hour on the phone. And um, You know, obviously for Alex, that was such a special year because uh, it, it started as a nightmare for him, and it ended in um, just, you know, the best year of his career. So uh, definitely a, a lot of cool stuff from Alex in that book, too. Yeah, that's right. Um, so definitely going to go buy that book. Brian, I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for uh, making this happen. I'm glad we got to do this. And uh, enjoy the charity. Enjoy the snow. That must be awesome. And I hope we can do this again sometime closer to the season. Love to. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. All right, man. Take it easy. You got it. So that was Brian Hoke, Yankees beat writer from MLB.com. Great stories there about uh, the pies in 2009 with A.J. Burnett and Nick Swisher. That was like my entire freaking childhood. Me and my brother Declan, co-host of this podcast, used to go in the backyard after our wiffle ball games. We'd have like best of seven series every weekend. And after it, we'd just get the whipped cream from the uh, from the refrigerator, put in a nice tin foil uh, pan and just absolutely go to town on the pies smashing each other's faces in left and right just a wild wild thing to talk about got into his book baby bombers mission 27 i cannot believe still that he's managed to find all of these players from that 09 roster including like phil coke and chad godan i bring these names up again because they're like the most irrelevant guys now but like just to think how important they were to that 2019 like sergio mitre damaso mar damaso marte was probably the biggest bullpen piece besides Mariano Rivera during that 9 run in the ALCS and, of course, the World Series. Nick Swisher, key part of that uh, team those four years from 9 to 12 Melky Cabrera, which would be his last year. He'd get traded a few months later to the uh, Atlanta Braves for Javier Vasquez, the right-handed pitcher. It'd be his st- second stint with the Yankees. Didn't really work out after that one year in the Bronx. Uh, the Yankees would bring in Curtis Granderson that next year, trading their top prospect, who turned out really to be nothing more than a utility guy who's bounced around from every team in the league, and that's Austin Jackson. I mean, I believe the last team he played for was the Mets. I mean, I remember he was on the Indians, the Red Sox, Tigers, Blue Jays, Mariners, you name it. He's been he's been uh, around the world in the MLB, so uh, good trade for the Yankees there. Curtis Granderson ends up having two seasons with 40-plus home runs in 2011 and 2012. Uh, Brian Hoke actually thinks that the Yankees still might be in on Corey Kluber. Never say never with Brian Cashman. Didn't think he was going to sign to share in 09. He did. Went out and got Burnett as well. We'll see with the whole Manny Machado situation. We'll see how it plays out in the few weeks as Las Vegas is only about two weeks away for the MLB winter meetings. A lot of, a lot of well, a lot of trades and signings set to go down. Bryce Harper's hometown in Nevada. So we'll see if he signs in the next few weeks. Phillies uh, say that they're going to spend stupid money this offseason. They have a boatload to spend. May even go after both Machado and Harper. So we'll see what is in store for the city of brotherly love. This will do it from this edition of the Osho Podcast, episode 32. Start spreading the news with Brian Hoke. Listen to it on Spotify. Darnell McDonald on the podcast next week. And that's about it. Declan, you got anything? Oh, wait, you're not here. Hit it, Hootie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.